Hello everyone, welcome to another Saturday edition of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. We're going to be playing a video today from a couple years ago that was one that I made after my Why Do You Support Israel video. I had received some really good feedback, some good questions from people who were not on my side. And it was very obvious to the people asking questions that they did not have a proper understanding of the new covenant and how it replaced the old covenant and something that people in the dispensational world often hear when they hear us speak is they hear us in their minds claiming God is not going to keep his promises to Israel. Don't believe that at all. The question that they should be asking, we all should be asking is how will God keep his promise to Israel? And the way God keeps his promises to Israel it was through the new covenant. And so unfortunately, because many do not understand the new covenant, they still see it as something that's to come in the future instead of something that Jesus Christ brought in for the house of Israel. And because they do not study the new covenant, they don't understand what changed. So they don't understand what changed. They don't understand how God kept his promise, how he's going to keep his promises. There were things that changed under the new and better covenant. We need to be prepared to articulate these things, answer these questions. And so enjoy this video. I hope it will be a help. God bless. Hello, I'm Pastor Tommy McMurtry from Liberty Baptist Church. Want to make another video on the subject of Israel and replacement theology uh, and kind of do a follow up from the last video I did on why do you support Israel? Appreciate some of the feedback that I got and uh, some very good questions came up as a result of that and I appreciate those and so uh, I want to address some of these things that I believe will help those who uh, maybe feel like you know you're just not I'm not providing enough evidence here to get them to change their position on this and it is true whenever you show people the truth of Genesis 12 and then compare it with Galatians 3 most people get it they understand that we are Abraham's seed by faith uh, they understand that if the Jews don't get saved today, they are going to go to hell, but they'll still say God's not done with Israel and they believe there's going to be a revival in the future with them. And they'll say things like, you know, God still has some promises left to be fulfilled with Israel. And that statement that God still has some promises left to fulfill with Israel that it, right there is a true statement, but often what people will attach to that is completely false. The things that they will say God still has to do concerning an ethnic group over there in the Middle East is just wrong. And so there's no way we can look at every false claim in this video uh, and debunk them one by one. And I've got a lot of information I want to try to throw at you in this video, but uh, I do want to show you some things that people fail to do when looking at Old Testament prophecy. And these things are very important and very easy to prove what I'm telling you is true and what you need to do. So here's what you need to do. When reading the Old Testament, what people do is they fail to factor in, and don't let this word scare you, the replacement of the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. It is a fact God replaced the Old Covenant with the new covenant or the new testament and it throughout the old covenant we see conditional promises but there's also unconditional ones too and so according to galatians 3 and we talked about this in the last video the promises are not to those who are children by the law or just those who are of the flesh but it's to those that are children 
of the promise. They're the ones that the inheritance goes to. And so Israel as a people, they never met the conditions of any of the covenants that God gave throughout the Old Testament. And there was nothing wrong with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was good, but a covenant's always between two people. And the problem was not with God, but it was with Israel. And so because of that, Israel couldn't continue to fulfill that covenant. But you know what? Jesus did, who was of Israel. And because Jesus fulfilled it, he made a way to bring in a new and a better covenant, which is what Hebrews calls it. And so in Hebrews 8, 6, it says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. That word better is used a lot in the book of Hebrews. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall teach every man his neighbor, and every man his, or they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith a new covenant, he maketh the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now it saddens me that I even need to address this, but many people are out there saying that this covenant, this new covenant hasn't happened yet. It's another one that is going to come in the future for Israel. But let me show you very quickly why that is not true. And I, I, it amazes me I even have to address this, but I do, because many are saying this. In Hebrews 9.1, if we keep reading from chapter 8, it says in verse 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. There was that tabernacle, and then later became the temple. That was that first covenant. In verse, and it explains many more of the things that were there. In verse 11 it says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with the hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by the means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So notice this new covenant he's talking about is the one that we talk about, one where we're cleansed not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Christ. And with that new covenant, there is the promise of an eternal inheritance. Remember that eternal inheritance and underline that in your Bibles. And so in Isaiah 49, so let me show you one more proof that the new covenant is here, okay? In case that's not clear enough for you, Isaiah 49, 8. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard thee, 
and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit their desolate heritage. So there he's talking about this covenant that's coming. And you know what the Apostle Paul did? The Apostle Paul quoted that verse in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, and you all know this verse, says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the day of that new covenant and the day to receive that salvation so we can receive that eternal inheritance when Christ returns in his kingdom. And so if you read something in Hebrews, it looks like something that's in the future. Well, the physical receiving of it is going to come in the millennium, but we obtain that promise right now by believing on Christ for salvation. So the new covenant's here. God hasn't got something new coming for the Jews in the future. What has the, what's, uh, was prophesied that was new that was coming for the Jews has already come. It was Jesus Christ when he established that new covenant. And here's what you gotta understand about the book of Hebrews. That it was written to the Jews showing them that following Christ and getting in on this new covenant was actually obedience to the Old Testament. He was showing them how they could, you know, uh, not how they could keep their salvation. Many teach, Hebrews teaches you how you can lose your salvation. No, he wasn't teaching them how they could keep their salvation. He was teaching them how to keep the inheritance and how to keep the promises that were given to their fathers. And the way they would keep those things was by believing on Christ and entering into his rest, receiving that new covenant. And so uh, they did have to accept Jesus as the Messiah. You weren't automatically saved just because you were a Jew, even in the Old Testament, that wasn't the case. You know, you still had to be of faith, and I think we all agree with that. So that's what Hebrews is, is it's showing that following Jesus Christ is actually following the Old Testament because they, the Old Testament prophets, they spoke of him. They wrote about Jesus Christ. So there's not anything new coming. And so we constantly see in the book of Hebrews how the new covenant fulfills the promises of the old covenant. And what the new covenant brings is actually better. So you know what? There's going to be some differences in what we see promised and prophesied about in the Old Testament from what we see prophesied and promised in the New Testament because what comes with the new covenant is better. <clears throat> and if you don't believe me, how about the fact that we have under the new covenant a better high priest? That's what Hebrews 7.21 says, For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We've got a new priestly order, a better one. And Jesus Christ is that high priest, and he will never be replaced because he won't die like the priests of Aaron did. We see that there, uh, there's a better hope, Hebrews 7, 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which they draw nigh to God. Now, there was a hope with the Old Testament, but with the New Testament, it's a better hope. And there was a better testament, 7.22 of Hebrews. By so much was Jesus made surety of a better testament, Hebrews 8.6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better 
covenant, which was established upon better promises. So you're going to see differences from the promises of the Old Testament to the promises in the New Testament. The ones in the New Testament are better. Okay, And then Hebrews 9.23, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. There's better sacrifices. No more lambs. Jesus made a sacrifice one time. It's done. And you know what else is better? The land. A lot of you still like to talk about the land an awful lot. But Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Wait a minute. Abraham didn't get what God promised him? Not yet. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And, all the, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. So you know what else the new covenant brought? A better people. Okay? A better people. Now, we aren't better than Old Testament Israel. Okay? Romans 1 and 2 and 3 make that very clear. You know, we're not better by our keeping of the law, but we are better because of the fact that Jesus Christ has cleansed us, paid for our sins. Uh, we receive the circumcision in the heart, not in the flesh, and that's better. And thank God for that. But not only are, you know, are we better because of Jesus Christ, but also it's because it's not about ethnicity anymore. And that's what he, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11 says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We used to be strangers from the covenants of promise. What promises are those? The ones that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. He's saying we're not a stranger to those things anymore. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. If there was something that was separating us you know, from having those promises because we weren't Jew or whatever, the blood of Christ takes care of all of that. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Some things got abolished under the new covenant, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. There's not two groups. There's not God's people, Israel, in the church, he's made us both one, and, um, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So, we're one people, okay, one spirit, that's how we get to the Father, through Jesus Christ. And so now we've established the fact that the New Testament replaced the Old Testament with better promises, how are we supposed to look at Old Testament prophecies. So let me give you an example. 
in Genesis chapter 17. In verse 7, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And people look and say, this land, it was promised them as an everlasting covenant for their generations. This is for them as a people. And they'll show how it uses the word everlasting. Well, let's keep reading. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Remember that phrase, I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. So this covenant here had a condition that what Abraham was supposed to follow and the generations after were supposed to keep this covenant. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And so uh, he goes on verse 13 and says, He that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And this uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So here, what do we do with that? Well, you know what to do with that. We understand how we receive the circumcision of the heart now, not one that's in the flesh. And at the end of the day, Israel broke that covenant because they didn't do that perfect either. Unless you just think that still applies, but only to Jews that got circumcised on the eighth day. But here's the problem with that. Okay, You know, there's, you know, uh, you have to keep all of the law in order for these things to work. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But here's another thing that's everlasting that was talked about. Because I think you all understand this concept, but we forget it when it comes to the land and when it comes to the Jews. It says in Exodus 40, 15, Thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So the Levitical priesthood should still be here, right? Because it was an everlasting priesthood, but yet we don't believe that. Why? Because God replaced the Levitical priesthood with the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was the replacement of that. It says in Leviticus 16.33, And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priest, and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year as he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now what do we do with that? We don't believe they should be doing an annual sacrifice for the uh, you know, forgiveness of their sins every year. Why? Because we have the book of Hebrews. Jesus replaced that with his own body. So God replaced the annual sacrifice with the one-time sacrifice of the spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Isn't that better? It says in Leviticus 24, 7, Thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So there we see that word everlasting again. But do we have to eat that bread in order to continue in that covenant? No. You know why? Because that bread was replaced by the bread of life, Jesus Christ, that once we eat it, we'll never hunger again. Isn't that better? And that's what we see 
throughout the book of Hebrews. And so Galatians 3.15 says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Okay, why did he bring up about something being disannulled or added to? Because what about those promises that were given? Okay, did those laws that got added later after Abraham's day cancel out the promises? No, they did. Did not. No, they did not. It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith, not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. What's it saying right here? It's showing that the laws that were added, they can't cancel out the promises. Okay? That didn't happen even though Israel broke all the laws. So then why was the law given? Well, God had to give Israel a law so they could survive as a people till the seed would come that the promises were made to, which was Jesus Christ, according to verse 16. And so uh, Israel's failure in keeping the law, it didn't void out the promise of God. The promises were still there, but they had to be of faith like Abraham, not of his bloodline. They had to be of the same faith. And so these other things that kept getting added, you know, why was that? Because God was constantly being merciful to them and giving them another chance. But their constant mess-ups, uh, you know, those required laws to be added, but notice the promise never went away. And that tells us, in the Old Testament, men like Abraham, who wasn't perfect, and Moses, who wasn't perfect and messed up, who received these promises, even though they messed up because they weren't perfect in keeping the law, they will still receive those promises. Not an ethnic group, but they will. Those men that God gave the promises to, they're going to get it. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to re have returned, but now they desire a better country. We talked about that. That is in heavenly, wherefore God is not to be ashamed to be called their God. Remember, I will be their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. God has something prepared for them. It's not that hunk of land that's over there today. God's got something better, that heavenly country. And they are going to receive it, the ones that the promises were given to. They who are of faith. And so remember how I said in the beginning of this video, I agree with the statement that there are some promises that are still to be fulfilled to Israel. That is a true statement, but it's not going to an ethnic group whose only claim is bloodline or the law. It's going to the very people God promised it to, men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, men who are all of faith. And under the new covenant, under the better covenant, we share 
in those promises that were to Israel. And let me prove it to you with one final example. Now, Ezekiel chapter 37 is a go-to passage for people who try to teach that 1948 was the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 and then becoming a nation again. But uh, that's not the case at all. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and will bring you into the land of Israel. Now, what you have to say if you believe this happened in 1948, that you have to take a Sadducee approach, like you don't believe in a literal resurrection, and say that that was just figurative when they were not a nation anymore and then God miraculously raised them up. No, he, this means, this is literal. He's going to bring them out of their graves. A resurrection is coming. It was prophesied in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And he says, And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I am the Lord and have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Okay? So that's very specific there to Israel. Now look at verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. Now, you might say that's talking about just the Jews. Okay, I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them, the Jews, forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, the Jews. Yea, I will be their God, the Jews, and they shall be my people, the Jews. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them, the Jews, forevermore. Now, that's the way many people are interpreting that. But look what it says in Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Same promise that was given in Ezekiel 37 to the Jews. Same thing that God talked about in Hebrews when he said, and I will be to them a God. He's saying this, this was written to the seven churches. Okay? This is to us. Why is that? Why is the promise that was to Israel being said to us as the church? Because God's made us both one. God is not going to, our one God is not going to be simultaneously dwelling in two different tabernacles amongst two different people. God's got one people. And the tabernacle of God is with men. So that Old Testament promise in Ezekiel, it is still going to be fulfilled but in a better way, in one that's going to include us. And here's what's interesting about the Ezekiel prophecy. Hey, that was one, when you read in Ezekiel, that's under the Old Covenant. Okay? And had they followed it, it would have resulted in the Messiah coming and building a temple that we read about in Ezekiel 40 through 48. Okay? That was assuming they kept the covenant. Well, guess what? They didn't keep the covenant. And you know what? That temple is not coming. There is not another temple that's going to come where they're going to do sacrifices forever in. Jesus replaced all those things. Okay? It's not going to be that Ezekiel temple is not coming. And look at and here's proof of it too. Revelation 21:22 says, "And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the lamb 
are the temple of it. Jesus replaced the temple. He did it when he used, you know, offered up himself as a sacrifice. Our body is the temple of God. And when Jesus Christ, when all this uh, comes to an end, he will dwell with us. We're not going to need a temple anymore because no more sacrifices need to be made. That sacrifice he did will never need to be done again. So there will be no temple. That's something that's different, something that's changed under the new covenant. But guess what? It's better. It's better. That, that temple that they talk about in the Old Testament, it was necessary for them to you know, appease the wrath of God and to obey him. But thank God it was replaced with something that's better, something that's finished, something that's permanent. Thank God for that. And so having said all this, hopefully you can now see why there are some differences between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy. The New Testament prophecies, they will fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, but in a better way, in a way that includes us as Gentiles who have the faith of Abraham. And so we unpacked a lot in this video, and if you're still not convinced and you're still expecting some kind of Jewish revival, please let me know. I, I'd love to talk with you, share with me the scriptures. I know there's a lot of them out there, but it's important that you know how to interpret these things through the New Testament. You can't read the Old Testament and ignore what came later in the New Testament because many things changed and were replaced, but always in a better way. God will keep his promises, and, but he's going to keep them in a better way. And it's not God breaking his promise like people accuse us of teaching. If God's breaking his promise because of what we teach about replacement theology, then that would be like saying, I broke my promise to you if I promised you $100, but I gave you $1,000. It's not me breaking my promise. That's me fulfilling it and then some. And God is going to fulfill this promise. You know, it's not his fault if you've misunderstood the terms and conditions. So here's what you got to understand. Replacement theology is not this Catholic version that they teach out there that's got all kinds of problems, and that's usually what people are debunking. But replacement theology is simply this. It's New Testament theology. It's the belief that God brought in a better covenant, and this new covenant was one that was promised to Israel, but it was one that the Gentiles could also be a part of too, and thank God for it. I hope this was a help to you. Thank you for watching. Please feel free to contact me if you have any more questions. And if we feel the need, maybe I can do a follow-up video showing there's no new Jewish revival coming. Not going to happen. So thank you so much for watching. God bless.